0: Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Scottish backgrounding stuff. With your hosts, Grand Duke
1: and Ali Hook. Hello! Hello! And uh, welcome to the second series of Rex Factor. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again. I'm actually dancing. <laughs> you are dancing. Yeah. And you're also standing. Yeah. Because excitedly we've got a slightly new uh, setup, whereby I've bought a new desk which so goes up and down. I've taken a photo, I'll post it on Facebook, but it has already had the
0: advantage that I can dance, so you know. You can what dance, else is it going to bring?
1: You can uh, improve your posture.
0: Well, I'm not trying to do that because I'm doing a lot of leaning. <laughs> no, still I'm worried leaning. about leaning, actually. Yeah,
1: don't lean too hard. Oh, no. And we're speaking into our microphone, which is appropriately enough called Nessie. Yes, it looks quite a lot like Nessie. Um, how appropriate! Because this season or series, rather, we are reviewing all the kings and queens of Scotland from Kenneth MacAlpin to James the Sixth. If you're with us in our first series, welcome back. Uh, If you're new to Rex Factor, however, what we do is in each episode we will review one monarch, uh, consider a number of different factors, like how good they are in battle, their scandal, how well they rule, and then decide whether or not each monarch has that certain something, that star quality, which we call Rex Factor. But we're not going to be doing that today. Today we're going to start off with a sort of a backgroundy episode to give you the context that leads from ancient history, up to the point at which our first chap, Kenneth McAlpin, is about to strut his stuff on the Rex Factor stage. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can like us on Facebook, Um, which is Facebook... I can't but, uh, Rex, Factor <laughs> yeah, Rex Factor Podcast. Yeah. If you just look for Facebook, you may need to narrow <laughs> your search slightly. I panicked. I looked like a rabbit in the headlights. Like <laughs> so, Graham looked at me then. Uh, Twitter at Rex Factor Pod. You can email us Rex Factor Podcast at hotmail.com. And also, we've got a, uh, a blog. Uh, at rexfactor.wordpress.com, where we'll do more sort of stories yeah. in support of these episodes, and you can leave comments there. So, without further ado, let us go back to the dark and uh, murky past of 2014.
0: What? Scotland and
1: the United Kingdom! The reason that we're just going back one year, to start with... Well, like, a month? No, yeah. five days! Well, it? indeed, you're just over a week. Um, is that last year, of course, in 2014, Scotland had uh, a referendum... Mm-hmm on mm. independence hey. uh, which was a very big deal it was to decide whether or not they're going to remain part of the United Kingdom or to become an independent country yeah and the result was the result was 55% in favour of remaining part of the Union hooray so Scotland still remains part of the UK but that raises interesting questions for us which is probably useful to establish early on in terms of what is the United Kingdom? What is Great Britain? Yeah. And why you shouldn't just say England. Yeah, certainly. That's quite offensive to a lot of people. So a quick run through of the history of the United Kingdom. OK, then mind if I do? 1280s, Edward I of England. <coughs> ah, he's cropped up already. He has oh. cropped up already. Uh, he completes the conquest of Wales. Yeah, he does. And then uh, a few centuries later, Henry the Eighth makes Wales a, a full and equal part of the English kingdom and legal system. Equal... In that it is just part of a larger
0: system. It's not its own
1: Yes, it's not, given, it's not considered an equal partner so much as... Part of their subsumed. territory. Yeah. yeah. Um, in 1603, after the death of Elizabeth I, when there are no more Tudor mm. uh, monarchs to take over, James VI of Scotland becomes James I of England. Cool, that was quick. Good night. Very well done to James. <laughs> uh, but what that means is we've got the union of the crown. So he's king of Scotland and he's king of England. But they're Mm. still two separate countries with separate parliaments, so they're not the same states. Until 1707, Mm. when Queen Anne comes along. And we then have the Acts of Union, which is where the kingdoms of England and Scotland are technically abolished. And instead is created the United Kingdom of Great Britain.
0: And Northern Ireland? Not yet, because
1: Ireland doesn't become part of the Union until 1800. The of right, right. George Third. So then we've got the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. When? 18... That's 1800. Right. And then in the 1920s, when Ireland um, has its sort of nationalist movement, finally comes to the stage that most of Ireland leaves the Union, mm-hmm. and we have the Republic of Ireland, which is the south. Mm. But in the north, they decide to remain part of the United Kingdom. So a new country is created called Northern Ireland, and thus we have the United Kingdom of Great Britain... And Northern Ireland Right uh, So when we say the United Kingdom mm. What we mean is England, Scotland, Wales And Northern Ireland So that is technically A sovereign state It's a country Yeah Queen Elizabeth II And the central parliament Is at Westminster
0: It's equally Do you know what's confusing This as well I mean mm. this is confusing enough And I, I hate to bring this up Yeah But the fact that the word Ireland and Ireland
1: Are so similar Yes <laughs> So he, she is Queen Because when I say Ireland Obviously I don't mean Ireland <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mean Ireland
0: Yes, because, so, Elizabeth First, Elizabeth II is Queen of Great Britain, mm-hmm. that island, uh, that island. Well, that's a
1: key thing, yes, yeah, so, Great Britain is a, geol- a geographical term, yeah. which means the actual physical island, with an S, of England, yeah. Scotland and Wales. Yeah,
0: and Northern Ireland, the other island. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is on Ireland. <laughs> Perfect. And then, just to confuse it a bit more, we have the British Isles. Uh, Another one, Isles, good. Which is Great Britain, the whole of Ireland, north and south, and then all of the little islands like Orkney, Shetland, Isle of Man, etc, that go around. But they don't like that, of course, (laughs) because they don't consider themselves in the Republic to be anything to do with anything that is British. So Even as a geographical term. Well, so if you want to be more politically neutral in your geographical terms, oh, you could refer to it as the Atlantic Archipelago.
0: I'm rarely heard to say anything else. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, what now? The Atlantic Archipelago. Well, well at yeah. least it doesn't have an island in it.
1: Exactly. And so, I, mean, I, I think that I that know, up. It's right yes. exactly. <laughs> very clear for everybody. But we will maybe have a couple of maps and uh, mm. explanations on the. Blog Rexfactor work. Yes, yeah,
0: I will do that. I will. I'll do a very quick and easy rundown of the British <laughs> Isles <laughs> by uh, you know. any yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Don't get your spelling wrong.
0: No, I'll do my best. I'll put check on Ireland.
1: Yeah. Um, now I'm going to give you a few geography questions about Scotland. See how well you know it. Okay. Where is Scotland? North of. England Yes, it's north of Britain. <laughs> well, I thought that was a trick question. I was, I was waiting for the QI buzzer to go off. Yeah. It's the north so it's the northern third of Britain, so it's kind of the head, if you mm. imagine it as being like the a border. Yeah, it's got a sixty mile border with England that goes from the River Tweed on the east to the Solway Firth on the west. But interestingly the south west of Scotland and all the islands there mm. are actually only nineteen miles away from Northern Ireland. Oh right. Okay. So as we'll see in this episode and later ones, actually that closeness is actually quite significant to Scottish history. And Scottish football. Well, indeed. 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 Uh, next question. What is the most northerly point in Scotland? Easy.
0: Um, which one is it?
1: John O'Groats. <laughs> now that is the QI buzzer moment. Why? Because John O'Groats is is the most northeasterly point so we've got John and Groats up there Land's End famously in Cornwall mm-hmm. in the southwest. so that's the longest journey in the UK oh uh, okay mm. right. the northerly point most northerly point in the Scottish mainland it's actually mm. a place called Easterhead oh poor poor head, Easterhead headness. yeah it doesn't get no, it. No, <laughs> it's that, it's that fancy sign that no. you can play ten quick to say <laughs> exactly well, Johannesburg,
0: 3,000 miles
1: brilliant <laughs> uh, okay next question how many islands are there
0: oh there must be
1: loads mm. I'd
0: say I'll say some to many
1: You're absolutely right, 790 to be precise, precise, which is pretty much what you said, as they're grouped by Orkney, Shetland, Mm. then the Hebrides, Yeah. inner and outer, but they go all around, mainly sort of the north and west coasts. That's a lot of islands. It's an awful lot of islands. Next one, what's the longest river in Scotland? Oh,
0: good question. Um, If I take a while, we can cut out the gap. We can. (laughs) Um, uh, The River Clyde.
1: That's incorrect, I'm afraid. Isn't it? It's the River Tay.
0: Oh, you know, genuinely, I was <laughs> going to say that, but I, I suddenly thought, oh, that might that might um, empty out into northern England near oh, Newcastle.
1: Right. Uh, so the and Tay 20. is 120 miles long. However, Scotland's probably more notable for its locks, mm. which are sort of freshwater bodies. Apparently they've got 90% of British freshwater. Cool. It's all up in Scotland. Loch Lomond's the largest by area, but Loch Ness is the most voluminous. <laughs> that's a wonderful word. <laughs> oh, is, isn't it? 1.78 cubic miles, but it's more than all the English and Welsh lakes combined. In terms
0: Whoa! Of that's ridiculous. It's so deep, isn't it?
1: Very, very deep. Yeah. I think it's sort of 700-odd feet or something like that. It? So I think it was more. I think it was like well, maybe. it's like a mountain down, yeah, basically. Inverted one. Hold your breath. And, uh, Don't <laughs> so get eaten. Yeah. <laughs> From the Ice Age to the Early Settlers. So it's from around 8,000 BC that we probably first start to get people living in Scotland. It's going to be a long episode. It's going to be a very long episode. This is the Mesolithic period. Right. Uh, So we have nomadic settlers in small camps who move around with the seasons, Mm -hmm. depending on what sort of foodstuffs will be available. Very small populations. It's actually still linked to Europe at this stage. Ah. Physically.
0: Yes. The North Sea is... uh the north sort of flat. Yes, yeah. so you
1: can walk to the continent in the way that you could walk mm. to England. So it's not until 6000 BC when the last ice age, or rather the last glacial period, oh. ends. OK. And, and as such, the ices melt and there is a sea between Britain and Europe.
0: OK. So uh,
1: the continent is cut off. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> We're not cut off. No no, constantly <laughs> cut <not>. off. <laughs> um, quite a bare landscape, just sort of mountains and grassland initially of Scotland, but as the climate gets warmer you see the arrival of trees, fruits, nuts, berries. Lovely. And thus more food, more varied habitats, you get more animals like wolves, deer, boar, bears. Furs. Brilliant. All this sort of stuff. Ready for our, our,
0: our royal hunts.
1: Exactly. We have hunter-gatherers right. come along. So now we've got uh, quite large territories for relatively small populations, but they're a bit more of a sort of cohesive group now. Mm-hmm. So again, they just roam around hunting mm. their wolves or their bears or their deer. And this is probably the standard way of living for thousands of years. Yeah. It lasts for ages and ages and ages until... We inherit, not inherit, we import mm. from uh, Levant and Mesopotamia, which is sort of modern day Iraq, a new thing which is called farming. Yeah, it all gets a bit rubbish from here, doesn't it? It comes from about in 2000 BC that it gets to Scotland. So yes, in a funny way, this is actually worse in terms of your quality of life.
0: Yeah, it takes longer. And
1: you get less, less rewards. Yeah, yeah. Mm. brilliant. But what you do get is greater security of provisions, because you've got food always there in effect. The animals. Yeah,
0: it's taking a sticky on 18 rather than twisting to 21. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take slightly less, but I know it's here, yeah. and I'm safe.
1: And it can support a large population, so again, population mm. starts to increase. Now, in terms of the people that we're talking about, we don't have any written evidence for them, of course. Mm. So we don't know what their beliefs were exactly, what they thought about the world. So what we do rely on is archaeology. Yeah. And particularly good for this are the Scottish islands, because they haven't had quite as much development in terms of buildings. Yes. So some of it survives a bit more.
0: Right. Oh, I see. Right. So at this point, there are, the buildings survive a bit more, mm. because there haven't been modern buildings.
1: Well, yes, yeah. Right, OK. And uh, so we've got stone houses. Oh, So in Bronze Age, you get more sophisticated buildings, um, some of which are still available to see today. Uh, first one for us is the Nap of Hower.
0: Right. This is um
1: Papa Westray in Orkney. Two rectangular Neolithic farmsteads built in around three thousand four hundred BC.
0: Am I being buried in by having never heard of this? They're not very well known.
1: Um well it's uh, it is the oldest preserved Neolithic farmstead in Europe. Oh, okay. So, you know, Fair I'm enough. surprised that it hasn't made more of yeah. an impact. But it's incredible that it's that old and it's still there.
0: Three thousand
1: years BC. Yeah, three well, three and a half thousand years BC.
0: That's really very old, isn't That's it? It's like five
1: Five and a half thousand years old
0: older than Stonehenge
1: older than Stonehenge as is Skara Bray yes now here we go yeah Which you think you were saying you'd seen something about when we talked about this yes earlier?
0: yeah no it's because I read that Bill Bryson book At Home and he talks about them that is like the earliest home
1: well yeah so this is um, it is a little bit younger than uh, Knapp of Hauer so this is about three thousand BC ugh tiddler Orkney again, only discovered in 1850 when there was this sort of massive storm which removed sand mm. dunes and it uncovered yeah.
0: That's the uh,
1: this incredible village in a sense. So you've got seven self-contained buildings with shelves and furniture and the like linked by this passageway.
0: Yeah, it all sounded really rather lovely and it had heating, but mm. there's something about of the um, uh, Mary Celeste about it.
1: Because yeah. everyone just disappears at yeah. some point. Mm. Yeah. So we don't know why or when exactly they stopped living there.
0: And things like uh, what would have been high-value things were left on mm. steps as if they'd just disappeared. Left in a hurry. Yeah.
1: So you don't know, it could have been a bad storm, it could have been an invasion, mm. or maybe they just dropped stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it's incredible. So it, it's sort of like a human warren in a way, mm. with all these links and a central half. And there's also this really good, for the time, drainage system. Mm. So you almost have, an effect, a rudimentary sort of flush toilet. Brilliant. In effect, it's not just going in a heap in the mm. corner.
0: Lovely. Well, I mean, I'd prefer that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So as you say, it's older than Stonehenge. It's older than the pyramids. Wow. In Egypt. I mean,
0: not as good as the pyramids, but still, wow.
1: And, well, you can go and see. At least yeah. they're still there today. And yeah. Because they were so well preserved, because of the weather, I guess, it's almost like Scottish Pompeii. Yeah. So you can really see, actually, these houses. It's not just, you know, like a little line in the ground. We say, Oh, there used to be houses there. Yeah, There's brilliant. actually yeah. stone houses still there.
0: Well I think we should go Rex
1: back trip For a trip uh, Later on From around 2000 BC You start to see hill forts Lovely which are, Like they say Forts mm-hmm. on the hills Particularly in the south and the east In the north and the west You get brocks um, Which have sort of high walls That then later get replaced By a thing called wheelhouses um, Where you sort of got Curved parallel pillars mm-hmm. With these sort of Circular outer wall Right So you've got round houses But stone. So it's got impressive Cool Yeah Architecture going on And crannogs Oh a crannock. It's in the highlands in the south which are wooden houses built over, but actually technically in water. On stilts. On stilts. Mm. and okay. um, which probably a bit exposed to the elements, but I guess not very many avenues of attack no. if you worried about that kind of thing.
0: They're little McFroggies. Indeed. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> um, so we've got the houses being built, mm. people living them, and civilization is starting to emerge in right. a way that we can actually measure. The Iron Age comes along, somewhere sort of like 700 BC or so. We get the metal economy spreading across Scotland. Farming increases in terms of its productivity because you've got better implements with which to do it. Yeah. And uh, the population thus starts to increase again. And you've got evidence of trade because mm. we've got metals which aren't very much resident in Scotland being found from this period. Right. So they're obviously getting them whether it's from Ireland, whether it's from England, whether it's from Europe, because a lot of things are still... Something.
0: So there is, a, there, is a, there is an economy going on with mainland Europe. Right? Yes,
1: yeah, so it's not just these sort of isolated, sort of simple mm. peoples who are almost, you know, sort of a different stage in the evolutionary chain. It's obviously a relatively complex society that's going on that has links to the rest of the world. It just takes longer
0: to get there. To get yeah, there.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a lot of debate about the extent to which we have any kind of hierarchy at this stage because we don't know exactly how the societies mm. are structured. Um, Probably there may have been sort of warriors, priests or warrior priests (laughs) festival. (laughs) Um, But the fact that we've got trading means that the elites can start to buy jewellery and things that mark Mm. them out. The thing which probably most suggests that there's some form of hierarchy is some of the incredible structures that are built that just seem to be for burial. Yeah. Which is pick out one particular person. So Maes Howe, for example... Around 2800 BC, Orkney again, it's this sort of chambered cairn. So it's got a mound around 115 feet in diameter, about 24 foot high, this sort of building, and um, all these various sort of chambers with one really huge one in the middle. And it probably took something like between 39 and 100,000 man hours to oh build.
0: H- that's huge.
1: So you think if you're burying somebody in there and yeah, it takes cool. that long to do, you, yeah. They presumably are quite important.
0: You'd think so. Mm. Yeah, or everyone was in dire need of a hobby.
1: Yeah, <laughs> or they built one, and it's like, guys, we need to redesign. It's going to take ages. <laughs> we built one of these, and mean five others have died in the meantime. Plague, Danaro, we can't keep this up. Um, we also have a lot of henges in Scotland. Oh, they're actually, henge. more more prevalent than uh, than in England. So Stenners and uh, are about 500 years old, by the time Avebury is built. Who are they? West. Oh, they're Hengis. They are Hengis right. in Scotland.
0: Okay. They're not yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um So this may be suggested that actually the tradition comes south. So it right. started in Scotland okay. then comes south down to England. But again, the fact that they exist mm. suggests we may have some form of hierarchy. Yeah. But the lack of information, the lack of certainty about all these things is set to get uh, overtaken because the written record is upon us.
0: Is it the Romans?
1: Roman Britain! The Romans are in town. Ugh. We've all heard of the Romans. Yeah, probably the most militant sandal wearers in the whole of human history. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, and or certainly the uh, the hardest people ever to regularly spot. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> a web of contradictions of the Romans uh, in three two five BC, a Greek traveller actually from Marse- uh, Marseille called Pythias, mm-hmm. He's sent to explore the origins of. Goods which are traded which they know come from these islands over there but they don't know about the people so he's the first person to make a recorded uh, mention of Britain mm-hmm. which he calls Pretania which presumably is a local name Right. so he sails around uh, the whole island noting the Cape of Orcas okay. the Orkneys, which is thus one of our oldest place names But it's not until fifty-five, fifty-four BC, when Julius Caesar first attempts to invade, Mm -hmm. he comes into England, doesn't actually complete the conquest, Mm -hmm. so he came, he saw, but he didn't quite Mm -hmm. conquer. (laughs) Um, So it's actually the Emperor Claudius Claudius, who conquers and settles southern Britain in 43 AD. Right, well done him. So, southern England is captured, but the Romans are quite an ambitious bunch, and they want to set their sights higher, they want the whole island.
0: Right, so they're going to take on the Scots.
1: Well, they're going to take on everybody. Um, a very important person early on in this process is Agricola.
0: Mm. Oh, now where do we know him?
1: Um, well, you just might just have heard of him. Yeah. He was quite well done. He was uh, a Roman general in the 1st century AD, fought Boudica in yeah, 61 in England, supported Vespasian in the year of the four emperors which mm. was 66, and was made governor of Britain in 78 AD. Okay, so he comes over seventy-eight. Very quickly, crushes the resistance of the Welsh tribes. <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously, history will tell you it's pretty easy. To <laughs> oh, the That's not much of a uh, he must
0: be. He must be like an Edward the First, this chap. <laughs> uh,
1: then he subdues Northern England, mm-hmm. and then in eighty AD, he controls sort of southern Scotland, kind of from the Clyde to the Forth. Right. So he's made that early impression, but as you said, he's going to take on the harder chaps mm-hmm. further north. Now, it's hard, it is stronger opposition. Technically, there are lots of different tribes, but the Romans probably just lumped them all together with right. one common barbarian enemy, as they saw everybody.
0: And I suppose they're all bound together against their kind of in- common enemy.
1: Exactly, it does help to yeah. create some kind of unity between them. They used hit and run tactics rather than all out battle, right. which is sensible because Agricola's building forts, he's got an army of about 20,000 men, mm. and the train. The sort of them walking up to Scotland apparently at times is twenty miles long God. at a march. Right. So you probably at that point think you know what let's just throw a few rocks and then get back in the cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Won't well, outstay our welcome. Meanwhile, the fleet harrying the coast as mm. well. Mm. Um, but he does have an enemy in the form of Calgarcus.
0: I thought you were going to say the mountains. Then I thought it was like a little, a little um, uh, red herring. Device. No, yeah. no.
1: It's a chap called Calgarcus, who is the first recorded Scottish individual. He's our first Scot. He's our first Scot. Hey! And uh, probably a warlord of the Caledonian tribe north of the Tay, which, as we know, is the it longest. That's longest the longest bit. after, <laughs> <art. laughs> <laughs> And he led some form of confederation, so probably lots of different tribes that bandy together when they realised the common threat that the Romans pose. Mm. And they come to a battle against Agricola, Mm. and Calgarcus makes a speech. Right. I won't do a Scottish accent. Oh! I apologise, but I don't want to set that precedent too early on. We, the last men on earth, the last of the free, have been shielded before today by the very remoteness and the seclusion for which we are famed. From here there is no retreat. There are no more peoples behind us. There is nothing but rocks and waves, and the Romans are more menacing than them. Romans, brigands of the world, they make a desert and call it peace. At the very first assault, let us show what heroes Caledonia has hidden in her bosom. How do we know this? Who wrote that
0: down? Well,
1: that's quite a pertinent question. This is written down by a Roman historian called Tacitus. He makes quite kind to them, then. He does. Um, the thing is, he's also married to Agricola's daughter. Right. And what he's probably doing is writing something of a praise history of Agricola. So to make his... Conquests in Scotland seem more impressive. What you really need is an impressive enemy, mm, an impressive
0: foe. True. What's interesting though is that in that first line, he or uh, he says that the Scots are then very aware of their position in the world as mm. being an outpost. So it's not like they just exist and trade with everyone. They know what everyone else thinks of them.
1: Yeah. It's weird. Or alternatively, Caligarcas A never actually said this. Likely. And B. Never even existed. Oh! He may have been entirely invented by Tacitus just to be a good story. Okay. But it is pretty good speech. It is very good speech. And it's the first one we've got for a Scot, so we'll just go with we'll it.
0: We'll go with it. Sounds prepared, Graeme. I think it's crumbling. This <laughs> <Yes. sister. laughs>
1: but they definitely do have a battle at uh, Mons Graupius, which may have been in Aberdeenshire or Perthshire, some, certainly somewhere sort of northeast. Right. Kalgarcus um, potentially launched spears to little effect. So Agricola sends in the auxiliary troops who slaughter the Caledonians in hand-to-hand combat. So apparently 10,000 Caledonians were killed against 360 auxiliary Roman troops. Yeah, and they never
0: really stood a chance against armoured, organised Romans. Exactly.
1: So it's a total defeat for them, but it's not quite a complete conquest of Scotland. Mm. And Agricola gets recalled before he can finish the job. Why? Well, it's not sure. It's by the Emperor Domitian, who's a bit of a rotter. So some people suggest that it was because he was jealous of all of Agricola's successes. Yeah, but I think he's treated quite well when he gets back. So it may just have been they needed troops elsewhere. And okay, it wasn't quite worth the amount of resources you have to put in for what you'd actually get out yeah, of yeah. conquering Scotland at this time. So later emperors also try to impose some form of control. Most famously. Hadrian, yes, empire at its height. Good indeed. old Hadrian. Now he's quite a sensible emperor. He actually seeks to cement the frontiers mm. rather than just keep on pushing exponentially further and further. Mm. So, and he also importantly has a penchant for vanity projects.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, he likes the old
1: column. He likes the old column, and indeed.
0: A wall. By a wall. He, 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 uh,
1: he decides this is where the line is between. Rome and, well, civilization and barbarians. Mm. So he builds a wall from about 122 AD um, to mark the border with Scotland. It's about 73 miles long, so it's from the Tyne to the Solway Firth. Mm. So it's sort of starting in what would now be England, and sort of Carlisle, that sort of place.
0: Is this the first of the famous walls?
1: Um, it's uh, possibly. Can't... Well, the interesting thing with it is it's built out of stone rather than timber, yeah. which there would have been elsewhere. Apparently that's purely because there was more stone available than other okay. materials. Um, it sort of varies in size, but it's something like 15 foot high, as we said, made of stone. Partly it's to consolidate against Scottish raids because they'd sort of come over and. Why? Well, because Scots would sort of come over and do a bit of raiding. A <laughs> cheeky territory. bit of raiding. So just stopped them doing that by building a wall, much harder for them to get through. Um, also, it's a statement of Rome and, and, of course, Hadrian's power. Mm. Also, the in and out control maybe allowed them to control sort of taxes, right? Because okay. people have to pay to go through. them
0: so it's like a Dartford crossing. Yeah, exactly, okay. with a toll, mm.
1: which never goes down, despite what well, they might have. Well, they might have, have said twenty-five years ago. Sounds Very local. Sounds <laughs> tired. Uh, but funnily enough, about twenty years later, after it's all finished, we get a new wall. Right, the Antonine Wall. So this is a new emperor, something of an unknown, so he wants to make his mark, and he thinks, yeah, let's do Scotland. Does another wall. Does another wall. It's about 100 miles north, so sort of into the central belt, sort of further forth to the Clyde. Um, yeah, just makes another one. Uh, finished in the 160s, but doesn't help him conquer. Right. And when he dies, his successor Marcus Aurelius thinks, you know what, let's just go back to Agents all.
0: Yeah, why do another wall? Just do something different. Do a window. You know, <laughs> <Yeah. or
1: something. laughs> Put some curtains on, make yeah, it look Do nicer. something,
0: and then paint it.
1: So the Antonine Wall gets dropped, they go back to Hadrian's Wall. However, Roman Empire and all its emperors start to be a bit more chaotic mm. after that. And Hadrian's Wall has less investment, people start coming across a bit more, it's not as well maintained, mm. until a new emperor comes along, Severus.
0: Oh, he sounds bad. Oh, that's Harry
1: Potter. Well, that he probably is the man who uh, gave the name to Severus Snape.
0: Is he a goodie or a baddie?
1: Well, I mean, that's technically a spoiler to answer okay. that question. Right. Um, he's also African, interestingly. Oh, right. Born in Libya. Yeah. So his first... Yeah. But
0: that was part of the Roman Empire at the time. Didn't part you? of the yeah.
1: Roman Empire, yeah. Um, so in 208, he comes to Britain with about 40,000 troops, and he's determined to finish the job. That sounds pretty conclusive. It's quite a lot. Refortifies Hadrian's Wall, mm. and then starts retracing Agricola's path. Mm. So, like Agricola, he's beset by guerrilla tactics. Mm-hmm. So, small sports won't come out into open battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but he keeps going forward, gets control of the central lowlands. Caledonians sue for peace. So right. he's obviously making pretty good progress. Mm. But then they rebel. Okay. And he doesn't really like this. And they don't, do they, Romans? His response. Let no one escape sheer destruction. No one, our hands. Not even the babe in the womb of the mother. If it be male, let it nevertheless not escape sheer destruction. Ooh, nasty piece of work. Exactly. It's def- that's definitely stick rather than carrot yeah. that he's going for there. And um, so Severus, pretty hard man, yeah. falls ill. Oh dear! Pops off down to York and dies 2-1-1. two one one. Hadrian's Wall becomes the border once again, and the Romans never really make another big effort to conquer.
0: Okay. So, and the, and the Scots are happy with this being the border? They, they presumably like it a bit further south. Yes, yes, thank you. We've definitely <laughs> yeah.
1: feel a bit more comfortable with this. Yeah. Um, in terms of what the Roman legacy is, the Romans identify various tribes once they've been there for a bit mm. longer. Um, initially, the most powerful were the uh, Meti, who were sort of painted these barbarians. But, you know, it's just an alternative culture ultimately mm. and we get an interesting insight which we did actually feature in the original backgroundy stuff episode we did for england uh, but not quite specifically severus's wife meets with the wife of the rival sort of caledonian chief mm. um oh lovely and here's the wife criticizes um her for the sexual mores of caledonian women right seeing as being rather more open than the Roman women than the n- Romans yes wow uh, to which the response is that we fulfil the demands of nature in a much better way than do you Roman women for we consort openly with the best men whereas you let yourselves be debauched in secret by the vilest
0: uh, ok so there's a public nature of it
1: yeah mm. I they go off with whoever the hunkiest chap is where the Roman women have to marry the fat wealthy bald men mm. no <laughs> offence to <laughs> fat wealthy bald men maybe lovely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lovely people um but after the mete, we then get picked.
0: Yes, we know Picts.
1: We do know Picts. Probably so-called because they may have sort of painted themselves or had tattoos. Mm. So it's the painted people. First recorded by the Romans about two nine seven, um, and they're making increasingly damaging raids on the wall in alliance with Gaelic settlers from Ireland.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And um, so in 367, we have the conspiracy of the barbarians, where the Picts and the Gaels together, bandy together, overrun Hadrian's Wall in large numbers. Mm. So this is when the Roman Empire is really on the brink. Mm. And indeed, in 410, the Romans abandoned Britain as the empire is starting to fall apart.
0: What's the, what's the gap between those two? 410, they abandoned, and what was the raid?
1: 367. Mm. Okay. So they're now struggling to keep control. Um, so Rome leaves and leave a power vacuum in their wake. Dark Ages Dark Ages, as we call it Interestingly, unlike England and Wales Scotland, apart from those ma- big campaigns isn't really touched by Roman Britain by the Romans
0: Oh, so you've got no uh, no no equivalent of Bath Spa There's no... Yeah, there's no got, things, no yeah.
1: spa up there so it's <laughs> Barbarians um, But it also means that actually the people that live in Scotland are still the same people that were there hundreds and thousands right, of years yeah. ago in a way that isn't the case in the South because you've got a bit more mixing Yeah bit more cosmopolitan stuff going on but what the Romans do give us is the first written evidence for Scotland mm. in 150 we get the first map which features Scotland lovely and we also get the word in effect Scotland or Scotty
0: right what was it before what the, do we know what they call themselves
1: we don't know what they call themselves we right. didn't have the written word yeah. but here's a little test for you what does Scotty mean Scotty or Scotland what does okay, Scotland Scot- mean
0: Scotland I now I'm putting my neck out here well, Yeah. The land
1: of the Scots. Technically, that's
0: true. Yes.
1: Another five points, please. Except that actually, the word Scotty for the Romans actually refers to the Gaelic settlers from Ireland who came over. Right. Which means that actually, the word Scotland means a land of the Irish.
0: Really? Mm. Rex
1: fact, our first one. Big Brilliant. Rex fact there. The Northern Mosaic. So, as you said, we've got this power vacuum when the Romans leave mm. and it's all a bit confusing in terms of who is what and where, the different peoples, but we probably have about four key identities in Scotland after the Romans leave, which sort of increasingly cements itself. We've got the Picts, who are in sort of northern and north-eastern Scotland, the Gales, or mm. the Scots, mm. a bit confusingly, who are the Western Scotland mm. and the Western Isles, I have the bit which is near Northern Ireland. Mm. The Britons, the native Britons, yeah. who instruct the Clyde. They're like more that we'd call the Celts. Um, well, no, they're the native. so um, we'll, we'll come to okay. who they are and where they're from. And also the Saxons mm. in the Kingdom of Northumbria. What we're going to do now is go through these four peoples, these four identities, and learn a little bit more about them. Picked by picked. Oh, oh. very good. So the Picts, mm. as you said. Um, we've covered them already in terms of their origins. So they are probably you know, very much native mm. to Scotland. They've been there for thousands of years. Celtic peoples who resisted the Romans. Um, so Pictland consists of about seven provinces in the north and northeast of Scotland. And there's probably some kind of Pictish confederation. We're not exactly sure how it worked out, but there was maybe some kind of identity common to all the Picts, a sense of them being together mm-hmm. rather than just lots of tiny little tribes Hort, half of the territory is a place called which it's in Streatham uh, but extends from the north of the Forth right up to the Isle of Skye yeah a lot of territory they probably spoke some form of Celtic language but as we've had before nothing's written down we don't know what they actually call themselves and they were probably the most resolutely pagan of all of the Scottish peoples
0: because they wouldn't have had any of the Roman exactly exactly
1: Um, But what they do leave are decorated stones and monuments all across the landscape, which either have abstract symbols or depiction of hunting. Mm. And then later we get, more famously, the sort of melding of Pictish design with Christianity. We get the crosses.
0: Oh, the circle inside. Circles
1: and that sort of stuff. They're also probably the most centralised of the various peoples in these years, so there is a clear hierarchy. Mm. But interestingly, there's no father-to-son succession until the 780s. Because it
0: it wasn't... uh Primogeniture?
1: Well, some people have suggested that it might have been matrilineal. Oh, right. I.e., that you Brilliant. follow the sort of royal mother's mm. sons still, but nevertheless, like that. Alternatively, it may just indicate that there was a lot of infighting going along. Right. So that there was never actually enough stability to go from uh-huh. one to the other. Um, or there were just various royal lines and they sort of take it in turns a little bit. Mm. Next up, we have the Scots.
0: Yes, well, that's this, this who we're here to discuss What's <laughs> right? I don't know who have been going on about these other ones. <laughs>
1: so this is the sort of Irish. do um, the what? The Irish. Oh. So they uh, have a kingdom which is called Dalriata.
0: Hang on, I'll look at my little map. Mm. Yes, it is on here. Yeah. Got it.
1: So that's um, pretty much Argyll in sort of Western Scotland today.
0: Mm.
1: Now, their origins are a bit more controversial because legend states that a man called Fergus Moore, or Fergus the Great... Came from Ireland in around 500 to found a new kingdom, because mm-hmm. the people, the Irish who were there in Scotland, were being persecuted by the Picts. So he comes over and establishes an actual Irish kingdom, and thus his two sons are the basis for two royal lines of succession for the kingship after that. Right. Alternatively, it may just be that it took longer, and there was a gradual period of emigration from both countries, a linking of cultures, of trade, of mm-hmm. language. So there's definitely a strong Irish connection, but it's probably not one massive invasion that suddenly happened. Okay,
0: so we've got it all slowly mingling together. Mm,
1: But there's definitely, you know, the the language, the politics, all that sort of stuff is very much linked. Uh, The hill fort of Dunat at the centre of the kingdom, um, it's making expansion to Scotland a bit unlikely because you've got mountains on the east. Right. Compared to the sea on the west where they've got all the links with Ireland. So you might not have assumed that this group of people will go on to spread. Because they've got a geographical
0: barrier. Because they've got a barrier.
1: Right. Um, they're probably quick to take up Christianity, because Ireland very much a centre for Christianity in this period, certainly in the Atlantic Archipelago, <laughs> um, as it was, um, and the shared language and culture, etc. They're more exposed to man- the manuscripts, the illuminations, and the stuff like that. Next up, we've got the Britons in Strathclyde. <coughs> right, Glasgow area, Strathclyde. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Now this one surprised me a bit because after the departure of the Romans, um, you've got native Britons who are left behind, and Vortigern um, was this local ruler who invites the Saxons over to help deal with these invaders like the Picts coming from the north. north. And the Saxons end up staying and push the Britons west.
0: So push the Britons out.
1: Yes, mm. so they end up going to Wales God. and to Cornwall. So that's where the uh, actual natives okay. of Britain okay. are yeah. in Wales and Cornwall. Mm. But they also go north. Hmm. And they go to this place, to Strathclyde. So it's southwest Scotland, so sort of Lennox, Loch Lomond, Stirling, places like that. Dumbarton Rock, or Alclude, is the capital, which is a fortress on the Clyde. Um, They have various poems which provide an insight into this military society, praise poets for powerful kings, and they probably spoke some form of Cumbric language. So that's similar to Old Welsh. Right, yeah. So you've got this connection, again, they're all in the west, you've got Strathclyde, it, yeah. Wales, Cornwall. It's all a strip. The left. Exactly, the, the left, left of Britain. Yeah. And um, there was a powerful king called Urian in an, a Cumbrian kingdom of Reged, um, who fought the Saxons with Strathclyde. And he and his son Owain get incorporated into Arthurian legend. Ah. So Urian marries Morgan le Fay.
0: Ah. And
1: apparently, Merlin at one point stayed at Dumbarton Rock. Really? Well. Well, who's to say? <laughs> as much as he may have stayed anywhere else. Finally, the Saxons. Mm-hmm. So we just mentioned there, Vortigern brings the Anglo-Saxons mercenary troops over, but they end up becoming the new invaders. Mm. And they establish total dominance um, through different kingdoms in England. So we get like the Wessex, Mercia, uh, Essex, etc. Yeah, love Essex. But most important for Scotland is Northumbria. So we get in the 7th century, the kingdoms of Benicia... Dara, which are north-east England, combine into one kingdom, Northumbria. Um, they have a bit more evidence of accommodation with the existing British structures in Northumbria, so they're a bit more cosmopolitan than the likes of Wessex. Right. So they've got some of the British stuff, some of the Saxon stuff. Yeah, so
0: what I'm year wondering. are we talking here?
1: Uh, well, we're talking sort of 600s. So it's before we started Rex Factor. It is before we started okay. Rex Factor. Initially, they were under siege from Strathclyde and Regard, as we said, with Urien. Um, but Ethelfrith <laughs> five hundred ninety-two to six hundred and sixteen forges Northumbria. He wins big victories against the British tribes, conquering some of their former kingdoms. Mm. So that really puts Northumbria on the map.
0: Okay, and that stays as a power base for ages.
1: It does indeed, very mm. powerful, as we will see. Mm. Christianity Christianity is very important for what we call the Northern Mosaic which I should point out actually just a term I only read in one book I don't know if it's widely used but I thought it was quite a handy mm. uh, thing to do Christianity is probably the most common factor in Scotland the, the thing which ultimately comes to bind them together more than anything else because um, very little is documented still in this period and even medieval Scotland but what does survive is usually written by churchmen yes so this is where a lot of the evidence comes from First missionary in Scotland's a chap called Ninian in uh, 397, so that's oh, right. still during the Roman uh, period in Britain. Uh, sent by the Pope and arrived at Whithorn, which is on Solway Firth, but didn't make much of an impact. No. So the first really important chap is Saint Columba.
0: Yes, now we know about him.
1: Uh, he's from he's, he's Irish, from obviously. powerful O'Neill clan, descended from Neil of the Nine Hostages, um, who was a high king in Ireland. Right. Educated at Clonard Abbey, and he becomes a monk. Standard. Now for some reason he gets exiled.
0: Oh hang on. Hey. Now now <laughs> you may be wondering what that is. I started to do it at the end of the last one with my voice, but I have been bequeathed mm. my own little mm. scandalicious bell mm. and I've I've got a picture of it, I'll post it up. Mm. But that smacks of Well, we've had sex with nuns in yeah. the first one. Did Columba have sex with none. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's not suggested. All right. It's a possibility that he became involved in a dispute that somehow led to the Battle of Kuldran.
0: He caused a battle.
1: Somehow he got involved in an argument and it escalated quickly. God, oh, yeah, god. <laughs> um, alternatively, he may have been just a bit too strong in his missionary zeal.
0: That's that's too bad.
1: Well, I don't know. I he mean, may have been annoying people anyway for some reason. He um, potentially faces excommunication, but he agrees to get redemption by becoming a missionary in Scotland.
0: Mm.
1: So, in five six three, he comes to the island of Iona. Yeah, so Ooh, yeah, we know that. That's on the west of Scotland, the uh, Inner Hebrides, I believe, and founds a monastery. Mm-hmm. And at the I- Iona monastery becomes a massive central sort of church of. Well, Scottish Christianity, Northern British Christianity, really um, huge influence that spreads from Scotland into Northumbria. Um, the way this is set up, they've got abbots of monastic villages rather than bishops. Right. So it's a slightly sort of different um, setup. So no bishops
0: ruling all these abbots. No, exactly.
1: Well. It's just these little villages. Um, now, he plays a role not just in spreading Christianity in Dalriada, which is of course the Irish bit where there's that strong connection yeah. anyway, but also in the politics.
0: I was, yeah, okay. Well, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought of him okay, a, well, we'll, we'll yeah. a
1: bit more. Um, so, he's an important advisor, educator, even kingmaker hmm. right. in terms of helping set up who comes uh, to the fore. Finally, dies in 597. Uh, apparently, the casket containing his bones was carried at into Bannockburn, all oh, right, by Robert the Bruce. Okay, apparently, so he's this incredibly important figure, but he's also a figure of legend. Ah, now hang on, this is this is where I can contribute potentially. Nessie, yes, that is yes. one of them. Okay. So apparently, he was said to have gone to Pictland to try and convert everybody, mm. but the Pictish, uh, uh, Pictish uh, the Pictish <laughs> king Brood yeah. or Bridi uh, refused him entry; wouldn't let him in. But Columba makes a sign of the cross before the door and without anyone touching them, they fling open.
0: Right. Windy day?
1: Maybe mm. a windy day. Mm. But anyway, he gets to speak to him. Probably didn't convert brood, but mm. nevertheless makes his impact. And then probably on the same visit, a, a Pictish man was said to have been drowned by a water beast. Ah, here, here she comes. Technically in the river oh, right. of... um. What's it called? Loch Ness.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, where does the Loch Ness monster to live? <laughs> ah, River Tay. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so apparently um, it's the river rather than the Loch, but there are other legends that make it the Loch. Um, Columba, to their shock, orders one of his followers to swim in the Loch and retrieve the boat. Absolutely yeah. not. Well, the man does it, of course. Right. At which point, the water beast emerges and sets to... Uh, kill Columba's man. Oh, yeah. But Columba makes the sign of the cross and commands the beast, go no further, do not touch the man, go back at once. And of course, impressed by the Holy Spirit, it flees. Impressed by
0: his knowledge of um, prehistoric lizard language. Got, <laughs> it sure.
1: So thus we have the first uh, recorded sighting of Nessie. Mm, brilliant. Uh, which is quite impressive. And maybe that's why... People can't find it now because Columba scared it off. Sure, it scared it off, yeah. Exactly. Very influential figure, father of Scottish Christianity. Um, Iona was actually the likely starting place for the Book of Kells. Ooh. Probably started there, these phenomenal um, illuminations, which are now in Ireland, Mm, in Dublin. Um, Iona ends up being the burial place for the later Scottish kings. And it was actually monks from Iona who found Lindisfarne. In Northumbria, yes. 635. yeah.
0: C-Rex Factor for other details.
1: Indeed, as it, or indeed, keep listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> its influence doesn't maintain itself for quite as long, though, in terms of being how Christianity is run, because in 664 we have the Synod of Whitby. Mm. Synod. Synod. Synod of Whitby. Um, so we've got the Columban Church spreading, but they've got a different practice in terms of when they observe Easter. Why? Um, they just do. It's it's all okay. quite complicated. That would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> that would be... Are we doing Father fel- TED g- uh, gangs just in case
0: I've uh, got the right of the stick? That was what I just did. Okay, good, 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 <laughs> good. good, good.
1: Um, so, in Northumbria, King Oswiu called a meeting of churchmen to decide which practice should be followed. Rome, mm-hmm. which did it one way, or the Columban Church, which did it a different way. Mm. And they have a debate, and the climax of the argument is that St. Peter was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not Columba. And therefore... So they they follow Rome. They follow yeah. Rome. Um, but... That doesn't mean that Columba doesn't have uh, any influence on anybody at all. And also, people who enjoyed our first series will probably be pleased that so early on we've got a mad monk battling monsters. Yeah! I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love that? Exactly. And somebody who definitely loves him is one of his successors, Adaman.
0: Who? Adaman?
1: Adamnan. Oh. Adamnan. We're <laughs> <Okay. laughs> going to be a lot of trouble with names. Um, he wrote Columba's biography and was himself the ninth abbot of Iona. Um, and interestingly in 697 he comes up with something called the Lex Innocentium right Law of the Innocents, which is something like a 7th century Geneva Convention oh. so he gets about 50 kings from Scotland and Ireland to agree to this document for the protection of women children and monks i.e. innocents mm. in a time of war
0: well we've seen how innocent monks are
1: well indeed mm. um, but it stipulates that women may not be killed by a man in any way oh. neither, neither by slaughter nor by any other death, nor by poison, nor in water, nor in fire, nor by any beast, nor in a pit, nor by dogs, <laughs> but shall die in their own lawful death.
0: That's reasonable enough.
1: It does seem quite reasonable. It does also give a potentially horrifying insight into the fact that they felt they had to mention all of the these. pit, yeah, especially. Or yeah. by dog, or mm-hmm. any oh beast. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a violent and horrible time. It demonstrates the way in which Christianity could... Mm. Do some form of civilising but also the fact that people are starting to sign up for this and even Pictish kings yeah. are accepting written rules and all this sort of stuff Game of Thrones so we're not going at too much of a tangent here although Hadrian's Wall of course probably almost I think is acknowledged to be the inspiration for the wall in Game of Thrones I
0: mean there's so much in that isn't there this isn't in any way a spoiler but the, uh, the people beyond the wall yeah if they're not Picts yeah I mean come on
1: Clear influence, um, but what we've got now in terms of why I've uh, rather um, shamefully used that title—yeah,
0: right. we'll get the Rex lawyers on it. <laughs>
1: We're fine. Um, but what we've got are competing kingdoms. So you've got the four peoples who are sort of up and down, trying to establish control mm. of the whole land. So it is a you know it's that similar kind of thing, and it's also very very violent. Yes, not a great time to be a king. No. So sixth century, the Picts are dominant. Mm-hmm. In Scotland, Bridai Mac Maelchu in five 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 to eight four inflicts crushing defeat on the Ardens kills their king, exiles the son Aiden, and picks have got overlordship. Brilliant. Mm.
0: We like them, do we not like them?
1: Uh, well, he's the one who apparently was intimidated by Columba when he threw his doors open.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't think they've got much chance. No.
1: <laughs> but. Aidan MacGabrain comes along in Dalriata just after that, 574 to 608, and with Columba's support and advice, he returns to the kingship, wins a great victory uh, in the Central Kingdom. But after Columba dies in 597, he has a couple of defeats in Pickland in 598, and then Northumbria in 603. Okay. So this brings the Dalriardans back down again, mm-hmm. and uh, the successors aren't really able to match him. A lot of them killed in battle, and particularly a chap called Domnal Breck who is defeated in an Irish battle of Moira in 637. Mm. And that's the last time that someone in Scotland, like that in Dauriada, tries to meddle in Irish affairs. Right. So, Picts are dominant, Dauriada is effectively paying them homage. Perfect. But then in the 7th century... Northumbria comes to the fore. Our Saxon fellows. Our Saxon fellows. They're expanding in all directions, north, south, east and west. Well, not so much east, obviously, and that's just the sea. <laughs> um, King Edwin of Northumbria moves into north and western Britain. Mm. But he is then killed in battle by Cadwallon of Wales hey. and Pender of Mercia.
0: Got the Welsh involved. Exactly.
1: So at that point, Northumbria splits into its constituent parts of Deira and Benicia. And we're splits again, so it's splits come together. Up again. Yeah. Because okay. you need a strong ruler who's able to. Mm. You know, it's a very large territory. However, <laughs> along comes Oswald. Of course, he does. Who's Oswald? He's a, he's a new king. He defeats Cadwallon, reunites Northumbria, and establishes dominance over the Picts and Dauriata
0: Okay, so big time victory.
1: Big time victory. He is known as a Bretwalder. Is he? By B, so that's the fact. he's somebody who's, while not king of all of Britain, is acknowledged as the top dog.
0: Ah, okay. It wasn't just uh, him being rude.
1: <laughs> no, it's okay. So he's very, very powerful until 642 and the Battle of Maserfield, when he's killed by Pender.
0: Pender was the Welsh fellow. Uh,
1: he was a Mercian fella. Okay. And so once again, kingdom splits. Ugh. But his brother Oswiu becomes king of Bernicia initially forced into exile by a pender, but then comes back and kills him. Now, how do we know all this? Is this from Christian written records as well? Well, Bede. The oh, venerable the Bede venerable Bede. He's Northumbrian. Yeah. And thus, we've got pretty okay. good records for Northumbria in this period and what's going on. A bit biased towards Northumbria. He's mm. not a big fan of the Picts and no. the the No. a great
0: name, isn't it? I mean, the great is obviously the best one we've had. Yeah. Um, the bad, not so good. Mm. Uh
1: But the venerable. Venerable. Did we the... mention this? Um, I don't covered it much of the time in our but, um, original series yeah
0: I think I'll be remembered as a venerable the venerable hood
1: <laughs>
0: <he>?
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Oswee who's got rid of uh, Pender once and for all and he also becomes Brett Wilder right. so he's the one that calls the Synod of Whitby Right. which shows the level of his dominance that he's calling people from Scotland, from England all over to say right let's decide how are going to
0: and the Picts sign up to some of the things that come out of it. And the yeah.
1: Picts have to because he's so dominant. Um, so he reunites Northumbria <clears throat> and even installs effectively puppet kings mm. in Pictish territory. Right. So he dies in 670 and is replaced by Ekfrith. <laughs> now, initially there's a Pictish rebellion, but it's put down at the Battle of Two Rivers in 671. And Ecfrith is even more hell-bent. ...on dominance of Britain. Uh, he's subjugating the Picts in the north... ...he's got victories against Mercia further south in England... ...he's even raiding Ireland for slaves. Right. So okay. this is a it's, powerful yeah, man... A powerful ...but he's got a rival. the Third, king of the Picts from 672. Initially he's probably some kind of sub-king... ...but he wants to re-establish Pictish independence. He gets control over the Dalriada again... ...but obviously Northumbria are the big daddies. Yes. So, in 685, against advice from no less than Cuthbert, mm. future saint Cuthbert, oh, right, and yeah. northern patron saint uh, of England, pursues the Pictish army and is taken in by a feigned retreat.
0: Ah, the classic uh, Henry uh, William the First trick.
1: Exactly, at Hastings. So, in the Battle of Nectansmere in 685, the army is slaughtered in Egfrith himself is also killed. Mm. And this is one of the most decisive battles in Scottish or even British history in this period. So Northumbrian dominance never again is able to recover to where it was.
0: OK, and we're going over this because this is all about settling the, the southern border of Scotland.
1: Um, well, I mean, really Northumbria, the interesting with that is that it's expanding north and south. Mm. So in a way, they were maybe a good candidate not just to be the kingdom that defined Scotland, but also... Britain, in effect, yeah, they had the potential to go both the whole line Yeah,
0: out. okay, yes, because it's not, it's not. We don't have that settled idea of England yet. King of all Scotland,
1: yeah, it's all up okay. for grabs at this point in terms of identities, in terms of. Who's going to form a central state? All that sort of stuff. That's what's being decided. And
0: we don't get that in England <coughs> until our fellow Athelstan a couple of hundred years down the line. Exactly.
1: Okay. So Northumbria, while still very powerful, is now no longer the dominant force. Mm. That is again the Picts. Okay. So under bridai and then Nectan, we have uh, them re-establishing their dominance. There's a bit of a period of civil war until we get Angus the First. Ah, brilliant. There's a name. He's a king from 732 to 61. one leads various incursions into Daurian sacks the citadel, kills his rivals, even kills a king at one point. Mm. So he reduces it to being just a sort of tributary kingdom. Mm. So it's, it's nothing really now. The Picts are very, very dominant. Strathclyde, mm. which hasn't been doing an awful lot, had fought with the Picts against Northumbria. Um, Angus attempted to uh, conquer them. His brother was killed in battle in 750, but in 756 he allies with Northumbria to sack Capital of Strathclyde, mm. um, which he does do. He never actually conquers Strathclyde, but uh, once again, he's demonstrating.
0: So why not power. just because? Oh, right, okay. Just to get some.
1: It's a lot of effort because you think now the territories that they're now looking at. He's fighting against the southwest and Dariada. He's been fighting probably Northumbria a little bit and Strathclyde. So you've got the whole of Scotland. Three, he's yeah, three sixty. It's only so the sea who's not fighting back. Exactly. Um, he eventually dies in 671 at the age of 70, and he gets a very nice little uh, summary <clears throat> from Bede, who said that uh, from the beginning of his reign right to the end, he perpetrated bloody crimes, like a tyrannical slaughterer. Oh, dear. Not such a fan of Angus. No.
0: I like his name. So, <laughs> you know. It's a nice
1: name. Um, his death sees another period of instability until his grandson, grandson Constantine, Succeeds. Any relation? Uh, no. Right. He's king from 789 to 820, a significant church reformer, founds the uh, abbey of, uh, or monastery of Dunkeld, and also apparently developed some form of links with Charlemagne in oh, mainland yeah. Europe. Yeah. So again, it's showing it's not just this backwater mm. of nowhere. It's got links with Europe and with other places. He builds a new palace at uh, Fortriu, And Angus and Constantine are inscribed in the Liber Vitae of Durham, which is this sort of memorial book of important personages of the time so that shows how important they're considered Mm. in Northumbria there's evidence in this period of sculptured masterpieces um St Andrew's sarcophagus is at this palace oh right in art and um there's imagery of uh David on monuments that they make of this period King David the biblical king oh right which suggests that they see themselves kind of in that light they're trying to project them as these sort of biblical imperators
0: not King David king, there is a King David of Scotland isn't there
1: there is later on There we'll is him. Yeah. Um, so this is showing that they've got a really sophisticated form of kingship now they've, and with real big aspirations of grandeur with uh, this mm. biblical imagery the links to Europe
0: mm. well and especially getting in touch with Char- Charlemagne who himself is this massively powerful mm. king of uh, some different territories and bring them all together and they've yeah. got it on the, on the mind
1: and so the Picts are already more centralised than the other kingdoms before, but you can now really see that they're establishing this across Scotland to a much greater degree. Mm. So it's really at the point now where you're starting to see the signs of some form of centralised state and what we might call Scotland. Great. It's all going swimmingly for them, but unfortunately... Who's here? Somebody's there? about to join the oh, party. Oh.
0: The Vikings!
1: They're always coming along and messing things up, mm, aren't they? they just um, Vikings from Scandinavia. Oh, uh, yeah, those ones. Not wearing uh, no horns, horned helmets, no. or drinking out of skulls, or whatever. But their problem is they've got a shortage of land in terms of farming, so they're trying to expand their population, but they can't support themselves in Scandinavia. Mm. So they have to go outwards and they start raiding across Europe. Mm. So they're just getting the food and the jewels, bring it back. Mm. Nice Um, job, just live at home quite happily. Um, Mainly in England, we saw Danish raiders. Yes. Because Vikings aren't just a single body, it's people just from general Scandinavia. Uh, But in Scotland, the Vikings we see there are probably mainly from Norway. Okay. So probably a slightly different area. Further north, yeah. Further north, which makes sense, of course, because Scotland itself being further north. Um, Come over in their longboats, which are incredible vessels which can both traverse seas... Yes, and rivers. So they probably uh, they first come to Britain in 793, where they raid Lindisfarne. Yes, famously. Ontario, famously. Um, Iona was probably next in 795. Mm. It's only a couple of years' respite. Iona gets properly sacked in 802, and the surviving monks uh, eventually flee to Ireland in 810. Right. And they go to Kells.
0: Ah, and write the Book of so Kells. They, well,
1: they probably may have started it in Iona, but they take uh. it with them and finish it off because... Okay. So they don't want it to fall into the hands... Grubby little mitts. ...of those oh. Vikings. Incidentally, it's also sometimes known as the Book of Columba. The Book of Columba. Oh, is it? So there was a legend that he started it, and it was definitely started after him, but it ah, may have been okay. inspired by him. Maybe he did the
0: foreword. Maybe, oh, well. a little <laughs>
1: preface. Um, so... Vikings are now in town. From 800, they take control of Orkney, Shetland, the Western Isles, mm. Case So That's not just that they're raiding it, they're now actually probably controlling it and settling it. Mm. Um, initially, as I said, just raiders getting easy loot, which is why they go to churches, because churches have got all the gold and nobody's armed. Yeah. Which is just a perfect, perfect situation for yeah. a Viking. Somebody needs to do something, don't they? The Picts, of course, are the big uh, power really? players yes, at this they're point. They're the and they form. A resistance, probably with help from people in Dowriata mm. as well, and then eight three nine, they come to battle. They want the to Vikings. engage in an open battle. Open battle with the Vikings. And so the Annals of Ulster tell us what happened.
0: Mm. Oh, that's from Ireland.
1: That's from Ireland. Well, because we've got those links, of course, they're okay. recording events because mm. so, they see it as being relevant to. And they escaped to Ireland. And they escaped yeah. to Ireland. So this is what happens. A battle was fought by the heathens against the men of Fortriu and Ilit. And in it fell Jochan, Angus's son, and Bram, Angus's son, and Eth, Boantas' son, and others fell almost without number. Oh dear. So it's, it's a defeat. For yes. The king. But it's not just a defeat, it's a defeat which basically kills the king, his brother, his sons, his brother's sons, pretty much all the important royal men of the kingdom just get wiped out in this one battle. Ooh, all eggs, one basket, eh? Exactly, so basically you just chop the entire head off the Pictish mm. kingdom. And it's incredible, from such a powerful kingdom, which is really establishing that dominance that we saw, within a century, the language, the culture of the Picts is just gone. The Vikings did a number that the Romans couldn't. Exactly, completely disappears. So the Vikings have now got control over the Northern Islands, destroys existing aristocracy and kingship, remakes an entire political landscape... And as such, we have got a power vacuum.
0: We've got a James Dyson.
1: (laughs) What we have instead is a political power vacuum. Ah, a a James Dyson MBE. Maybe. And what is going to step into that vacuum is Kenneth McAlpin. OK, so we're there. And we will find out how he does that next time.
0: Well, brilliant. That was a nice little romp through thousands of years. Thousands of
1: years of Scottish history.
0: And now we need to get our teeth into this
1: fella. We do. So next time we will focus entirely on Kenneth McAlpen. Find out how he becomes King of Scotland, as it is. What he does. Yeah. And whether or not he has the Rex Factor.
0: And importantly, was he known as Ken or
1: Kenneth? That I'm sure we will find out Mm. next time. Email us. Oh, yes. Facebook us. Facebook. Leave a nice review on iTunes to help us. Oh, yes, iTunes.
0: And if you could subscribe through iTunes, that would be very helpful. Very
1: helpful. And if you'd like to make a donation to us, you can do so on rexfactor.podbean.com via PayPal.
0: Lovely job. So, thank you for listening. Thank you. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye.